the idea of living in not knowing, or in, in the Zen tradition, they call it the beginner's mind, is an anathema to many people. And yet that's where all the power is, is, is a willingness to kind of lean out into the unknown and invent from there and innovate from there and, and listen for what the world is calling for. You're listening to The Breakdown with me, Chris Clearfield. The Breakdown is a podcast where we connect with business owners and experts to hear their perspectives on this crazy, complex world. I'm your host and fellow learner, and I'm glad you're here. My next guest is a woman named Amba Gale. Amba has run leadership development programs for some of the world's biggest companies and has done this for the last four decades, which is incredibly impressive. And I was really interested to talk with her. She was recommended by Bill Weimer, previous podcast guest, and Amba works with Bill and his team as well. And and talking with Bill, if you listen to that discussion, really got the sense that a lot of what town and country markets had as part of their culture was this culture of participation, culture of sharing, culture of creativity and collaboration, and when we finished the podcast, Bill said, hey, you know, you, you should really talk to this woman, Amba. She is has been a big part of Town & Country's journey to create a cohort of leaders who are really able to work in this way. And so that's the conversation that I'm bringing to you, my conversation with Amba about how she thinks about leadership, how she thinks about the nature of leadership in the modern world, what it means to be in a profession that is helping to support leaders and transform organizations. We talk a little bit about how to talk about this stuff, because that's something that that I play around a lot with in my business. What, what resonates with people, what resonates with me, and how to do business development in, in the nature of a helping profession, which is, by the way, as a leader the kind of things that you need to do as you engage your team, your division, your unit, your company with how to undertake positive change. So you'll hear Amba and I talk a lot about heart in this conversation. We talk a lot about vulnerability and it was a really impactful conversation for me to have. I got a lot out of it. I felt very present and grounded in the conversation. And uh, I hope you take something from it too, because I think Amba brings a lot of wisdom with her. And for me, it was a delight to talk with her. And I hope for you, it is a delight to listen. Thank you. Well, hello, Amba. How are you? I'm just great, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. It worked. You're here. I know. Isn't that great? It's <laughs> I was great. so excited. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. I had your phone number already just in case, but this is fantastic. <laughs> well, why don't we why don't we get into it? Okay. Yeah, maybe you could just can you just say who you are and and what you do and and we'll start with there. Okay, great. My name is Amba Gale, and I'm the owner of uh, Gale Leadership Development. I've been in business now for 40 years with my own company. And, um, well, I do a lot. I, I transform the culture of organizations into a place where there's workability. 
and um, where they move from like a top-down kind of way of being frequently to participatory culture, from no trust to trust, from little communication to being able to collaborate well with each other. And I can say all sorts of more things about the kinds of breakthroughs that occur in the the nature of how people work together so that there's a floor and a foundation of relatedness and connection and collaboration and partnership so that work works and people have the experience of uh, accomplishment and the business has the results that it wants and there's a space of vitality and freedom and collaboration amongst people. And then I also work with individuals, so I do one-on-one coaching work and I also do courses where that work gets done. Some of the work that I do is in-house for my clients, for organizations. And sometimes I do uh, uh, courses publicly where my clients bring people or, or reserve spaces for their people in my courses. And I have a foundational program called the Heart of Leadership and then many courses that have come from that that are graduate level work so that many people have worked with me for 20, 25 years now, just ever deepening their own power and um, by power, I mean their ability to to empower others and fulfill what they intend in life in a space of vitality. (laughs) I don't know if that answers your question, Chris. That's a start at any rate. It's a start. And I guess I want to get right into something that I think is really interesting about your work. And it's actually, I'm going to build on a question that my previous podcast guest asked me about you and your work when I gave a brief description. Um, His name is John Gertner, and he wrote a book about Bell Labs called The Idea Factory. And I guess based on how the timeline of how we're releasing this, that will be an upcoming podcast, but it it happened in real time previous to this. And and he, he asked a question, which I think I suspect will be on a lot of folks' mind, which is, you know, hang on a second. You just talked a lot about business and training people to work in a business and and transform a culture. But you used a lot of words like relatedness, uh, heart, um, connectedness, vitality. Those aren't necessarily words that people associate with business. And I Mm -hmm. wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that. Well, I would say that's part of my work is to shift the thinking so that People do think that way (laughs) because um, those kinds of words I have found in all the work that I've done with numerous corporations, organizations, and entrepreneurs in all this time is that when people refocus their priorities in that direction, they have breakthroughs that they normally don't have, that they can create futures for their business that were not possible before they shifted the kind of, I'm going to use another weird phrase here, the ground of being on which they stand. Mm. Um, So there's a principle I would say that I come from is that without communication, nothing works. And um, so a uh, a lot of my clients first came to me because there was a condition, for example, of no trust in their organization. And so people were not working together well. And in the 
course of the work that they did with me, the, the, this is a five-day program, the Heart of Leadership, there's a shift that gets made from no trust to trust. For example, one of my clients named Parametrics, um, which is in this area here where I live, I live in the Seattle area, they started with a 36% attrition rate, and we did three Heart of Leaderships over the course of the year with their senior management, and it dropped down to 8% and continued on through the years at that as we continue to do work together. So you can see there's a, uh, begins to be a kind of a new condition in the company that uh, allows for people to collaborate together and that allows for people to participate with one another and allows for people to, to think synergistically with one another and be in dialogue with one another, which is very different than being told what to do. So it's like the difference between compliance and obligation and people finding their own creativity. Living in a culture where other people respect how they think and that they think and then are open to receiving their thinking. So you get the power of the people in an organization released. And um, I know you had a, a conversation with Bill Weimer a couple of weeks ago, and he yes. was referring a lot to what I'm speaking about here. He's how, he's how we got connected. And I was so exactly. intrigued that he made the intro. You know, the word that, the word that just coming up for me is the word unlocked. It feels like you're helping people get unlocked or unstuck. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I have a visual image of that a little bit, and which I'll, I'll share with you. Um, and, and I, um, express this image to people when I'm distinguishing what coaching is because I'm a coach. And sometimes I'm coaching individuals and sometimes I'm coaching individuals as a whole, like when they're in a group in front of me and we're in a course or a class together, but still they're being coached, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or I'm working with, with them as a whole, that there's a body of distinctions, which um, it's, it's like a, a principle or something that you don't know that you don't know, which if you became aware of it, it would release you. So there's what we know we know. There's what we know we don't know. And then there's this whole other area in epistemology, which is the subject of knowledge, which is what we don't know we don't know. So we're not even looking there. And a lot of my work lives there. And, um, and if you, if you um, compress that into something individual, you could say that people are living their life, and this is a kind of a graphic and more or less violent image, so I apologize in advance for that. People are living their life as though they have a nail in their foot. And if you could picture this, if you had a nail in your foot and you wanted to walk forward, you would be walking around in circles because your other leg would take you around into a circle. So people keep going around in circles and live the same life over and over and over again. And, um, and they're doing that because they have a nail in their foot. And that nail is some kind of constraint. That constraint could be a belief or a particular set of beliefs or a way of thinking or a way of behaving or a way of acting. Um, it could be 
simply, um, if I put this in in like real terms, like uh, blaming is a nail that a lot of people have in their foot, or feeling like a victim is a nail that a lot of people have in their foot, and they and they have their finger pointed in the direction of blaming other people or blaming circumstances. And in the work that I do with people, I don't take the nail out of people's feet, but I point out the nail sufficiently. Show them the nail. Exactly. In such a way that they can say, oh, I got a nail in my foot. And then they can take the nail out. Right. And um, th- and they're the old, only ones who can take the nail out. I can't right. take their nail out. Be- if, yeah. if, if, <laughs> if we as the as – the- helpful intervener take the nail out for them, it just grows back or another nail ends exactly. up right in the same place. <laughs> One of the things that's been a big part of my work in the last year, and maybe even a little bit before that, is um, figuring out how to market what I do. And even saying that term, I feel like a little, it feels like a little taboo. Because I, I, I think I had this view when, when Meltdown came out, when the book came out, that like, hey, like, Andres and I, we're really smart guys. We can help you solve your problems. Like, come to us. We, we can help you. And of course, nobody, you know, nobody came to us. I don't want to say nobody came to us. People came to us. But it wasn't, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to, just having the, written the book was not enough to have the impact and and get to work with the leaders I want to work with and help them change culture in ways that are really positive and that really support working in these deeply complex environments that business leaders have to work in today. And so I've had to do a lot of and, and think a lot about marketing and how do I talk about the ways I can be helpful and how do I define those ways and how do I say this is a way I'm going to be helpful, this is a way I'm not going to be helpful and and all of these things. And I think for me, I kind of carry around, there's a nail in my foot to kind of keep your analogy going. And I've become been becoming more and more aware of it. But in my mind, I tell a story that marketing oneself and selling oneself is anathema to being part of the helping profession. And I am conscious enough to know that that's just a story and to have sort of at least pulled back the covers a little bit. But for me, that story is still very present. And and I suspect that's something that you have a lot of insights on. And I'm curious if you have a, a reaction to that or, or if that brings up anything in you. <laughs> I'm smiling. Well, I, I think I'll approach this in two different ways. And one way is that um, to draw the distinction that there's knowing, there's doing, there's being, and then there's contributing or mentoring. And the level of knowing and what we know does not necessarily translate into action. Yes. So just people giving people what we know and having them receive it from adding to their store of knowledge does not translate into living particularly. So that's one of the places that I would respond to you in what you're saying, that that may be one of the stops there. I do think, and this is going to sound blatantly horrible, but I'm just going to say to you, Chris, as though you and I are not present to a lot of other people listening to this, 
when I do put in another heart of leadership, I haven't been leading it for a year and a half now because I've been wanting to do that course in person. So while I've translated some of my other work and pivoted into being able to offer it through Zoom, and it's been totally wonderful, this particular course, I, uh, which is, I considered the foundation of all my work, I haven't been willing to because I consider that course to be essential that we be uh, with each other in presence and in person with each other. But uh, what happens in that course is that, in, and through that work, is people make a shift into being. And so the course is way more, well, it's not way more about it. It is. It's an opening into being a leader or being a contributor. And when you are generating or at the level of being, you're sourcing leadership or you're sourcing contributing what you know about about leadership or whatever subject you're working with. Uh, you know, I didn't read your book, so I don't know the, the thrust of it, although I think that it has to do with creating breakthroughs from breakdowns. Is that correct? It has to do with the kind of uh, the way that the world is complex and, and getting more so and the way that that causes particular kinds of failure. But, but more than that, the way that it requires a um, a recognition that the problems to solve are collaborative and or the problems to solve are adaptive rather than technical. They're systems issues rather than you know technology fixes or or expertise driven issues uh, is how I would, yeah. I would say it. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I'll just say I think when you get the body of distinctions that if you were to take the heart of leadership, it would mean a whole lot to you because I think that you would be able to answer your question, mm. and that question wants to be answered by a big conversation, not a couple of sentences. So I'm just going to leave it like that because it's a big conversation, and it's an and that when you shift from moving to knowing about to being, and it's a, it's a dramatic shift. Uh, to being something, then you start to see ways to contribute you didn't start to see before. And you see other aspects of what it is that you're at work on that you didn't see before. Suddenly, the kind of an awareness of other areas uh, begins to make its appearance to you and you see ways to contribute that you didn't before. The other thing I wanted to say, I said there were two things, is that the... um, you know, I myself have, have gotten into the, quote, world of marketing in the last year and a half in a, in a new way because I completed writing a book and I published a book called Crossing Thresholds, Island Reflections. And it's a book of poetry and photographs and teaching questions that came out of my own work, uh, internal personal work that I did on a journey, inward journey that I took two years ago at an island in Lake Superior where I needed to cross a threshold, which threshold crossing had to do with reinventing my relationship with my now adult daughter, who was telling me in no uncertain terms in various ways that I was um, treating her not as someone she wanted to be treated as. And I knew that I needed to invent my whole relation, reinvent my relationship with her and hold her in ways, I was still holding her in ways like she was a child Mm -hmm. and she was who she's incredibly um, not psychic, but intuitive that way connected that way. And so I knew I had work to do. So I, and I did the work of crossing this threshold and how I did it was through going very silent and moving into a very, very um, deep space 
of self-reflection where I could connect with my own inner wisdom and my own inner uh, poetic imagination. And the muse woke up and started leading me across this threshold through about 50 poems. And the poems then later got uh, became a book. I never had any intention of publishing, but um, the poems were way beyond um, personal. I thought they were too personal. And a friend of mine, and I'm taking off a little bit now. I'm off on another tangent because I know I started about marketing. <laughs> and I entered, well, I'm going to stop saying what I was going to say before, and maybe I'll come back to that. But I entered the world of marketing because of the book. And um, marketing is one language. It's almost like you feel like you have to convince somebody of something. And there's another place to, um, so I'm coming back to the, your original question to investigate, which I would call the distinction of being of service. And I can hear it in talking with you that your, your heart is so awake and so invested and you are so passionate about wanting to make a contribution to other people. And there's an orientation around being of service in where you're out to create possibilities for people by hooking into their world. So in the land of communication, we often don't listen. And that's another area of work that I do with people all of the time because the kind of listening that we provide in our conversations with people is based in kind of we talk to ourselves. There's an internal voice that's always going on, like we're preparing what we're going to say when they stop talking, or we're trying to figure out how to be strategic here in order to something, like get them to go our way, or <clears throat> we're judging what they're saying, or you know, or it's like an internal voice that says, I don't like this, I like this. We're voting all the time. Uh, or we're just going off to the Bahamas somewhere, not even listening to what they're saying and thinking about something else. And a big one is, I already know, like we will finish their sentences for them or we'll, um, we'll try to fix what they're saying. So all these normal, everyday, automatic ways of listening get in the way of real listening, which is a very different kind of listening where you're locating yourself over there with them. And, and, you know, I noticed in your emails to me, you write curious, stay curious. And I, I just love that because it's a kind of way of being in the world where you're creating your own curiosity. You're creating your own interest. You're, you're getting, you're interested. You're really interested, not because you want them to do something, but because you're just genuinely interested. And then sometimes we can't actually get interested in what another is saying. And so then it takes getting interested in getting interested because until we have shifted where we're locating ourselves from over here with us in our automatic head, just talking, talking, talking inside of us, chattering away or internal chatter, we're actually over there being with them without anything else going on with us and just simply being and being interested, perhaps listening for their wisdom or listening for their world, which is what you're talking about. So when you want to go to contribute something that you have that, that you think would make a difference for them, your possibility of doing that increases exponentially once you're in their world and you're hooked up with them. And then once you're hooked up with them, 
you can see what you can bring to bear that you have that could open up greater territory for them or give them greater access to actions that they didn't have before you spoke with them. Now, I'm going to stop talking and ask you if that communicated at all. Yeah, well, I I think um, I'm going to say that again, or I'm going to say at least a part of that, I think, back to you in in maybe slightly different words, which is I, I think what I hear you saying is that marketing is not about marketing is about listening actually is what i hear you saying that's what i was saying Mark, yeah. <laughs> marketing is not about getting somebody to buy your thing or getting somebody to to decide to work with you marketing is about sort of putting stuff out there and 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 being interested if it will resonate with somebody and also being true to oneself about what kind of work interests me um being so being true to myself about that because i think one of the shifts i've noticed making recently is and and it's a you know it it, it feels like a struggle sometimes but realizing that that my goal in a conversation with somebody isn't to get a piece of you know, start on a consulting project or get a coaching client or, or anything like that. When I'm at my best, it's when I'm just showing up and I'm, I'm being interested and I'm trying to be helpful. And then I'm curious if some of the ways that I am helpful and charge people money would be useful for them and would be, would are interesting for them or, or they are curious about that. And, and that feels very different than, um, you know, having a, like trying to pitch something or something like that. I'm not sure if that, right. If that Does that feel like that's, we're, we're sort of using different words, but kind of on, on sort of similar tracks. It, it to- totally, you're tracking totally. So, um, just to, to, um, put a little bit more meat on the bone. I, I, I call this enrollment, right. Which is different than selling. And, and enrollment has to do with opening up the possibility for another. And uh, um, before even being able to generate possibility for another, there's another uh, piece of work to do, which is to create what I call a foundation of relatedness with another. And that's the base. And you're very, um, you, you're very natural at that. Um, in the podcast I heard that you did with Bill, it was present in the conversations you and I have had together. It's, it was present. And so, and, and foundations of relatedness are based in connectedness. So, uh, again, in organizationally going back to working with people who work, um, very often people get disconnected from each other. So then the question becomes, how do you create connection in the face of no connection? Or they get disconnected from themselves. And the question becomes, how do you, how do you, uh, what's a pathway for generating your own relationship with your own spirit and your own heart and your own sense of who you are in life? And then another place that people can get disconnected is in relationship with the world. And so it's like all of those need to be taken into consideration. And then you, from there, you can open up new possibilities for people. And once possibilities open up, then you've got to ground them 
in, into action before somebody takes action. Very often where people get stopped is they, the, another person gets very inspired by what possibility is opening up, but then they want to leap into action before actually grounding it and looking at the resources and um, looking at the timing for things. And so there's that whole conversation that wants to take place before anybody can move into committed action. Well, and is this, is this, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I just, I got excited. So I, I started talking, but I think good. You know, there is, and and I think this is this is how to connect the conversation that you and I just had about marketing with, you know, what a leader who I mean, I'm thinking about my clients. You know, an an oil and gas engineer or an attorney at Microsoft or a software engineer at at a, a software company. I mean, this this is the same. The same work is possible for them in the sense that we, I mean, people start the world of work in a very task oriented fashion. They have a thing to complete that is in front of them that is usually given to them by someone else, right? So they have to, you know, do an analysis, write a piece of code, review a, a contract, you know, even set up a procedure. All of those are kind of work that's given to someone. But, but what we're really talking about is, people finding and, and creating the work that that not just resonates with them, but the work that can have has the potential to have an impact. And I, I think that part of the work that I do with leaders and leadership teams is getting them to engage and be curious without needing to know the right answer or without needing to know how things are going to go. And I think to me that yeah. that very much maps onto what we've been saying. It's like, it, you know, if you're just advocating for a position, then you're only getting a small fraction of the energy of people, their their viewpoint. You know, there are great, there are times to advocate. And and you know, I would never want to say don't don't advocate. You're but there are we are generally in in our kind of Western male, white business culture, we are very good at advocating. And what we are less good at, I think, is inquiry. And I think that that's when we talk about whether it's enrolling a client in a program or enrolling a team and a change effort or enrolling an organization and a transformation. I mean, that is something that really rests on this balance of vision and curiosity and inquiry and some advocacy, but but at, we're pretty good at advocacy. So it's mostly those other things that that um, benefit from some kind of attention. Does that does that seem yeah. right to you? Yeah, beautiful. That's beautiful. I mean, a key thing that you said that was brilliant is I think you said it is not needing to know. Or yes. what did you say, Chris? Well, how did you express that? I don't remember the exact words I used, but fortunately they were recorded. <laughs> um, I think I said, yeah. you know, supporting the way I think about it is su- supporting leaders and moving forward when when knowing the answer is impossible and they explicitly don't know the answer. Something along those lines. Exactly. Exactly. And that's huge because that's where the opportunity to invent new futures comes from. And, um, you know, we all human beings have this penchant for certainty and this um, resistance to change and this need to know. And, you know, part of it is CYA, you know, part of it is the culture that we've been 
born into and taught. And um, the idea of living in not knowing, or in, in the Zen tradition, they call it the beginner's mind, is an anathema to many people. And yet that's where all the power is, is, is a willingness to kind of lean out into the unknown and invent from there and innovate from there and, and listen for what the world is calling for um, and what's being asked for now. And, um, you know, that's where all the brilliant innovators came from, is they were willing to lean out into that territory of the unknown. And, um, you know, and it, it's particularly um, prevalent. I mean, it's very clear right now because of the pandemic that we've all been moving through, right. where the ground underneath us is changing constantly, or has been at least. I don't know, we may be peeking out into some sunlight now, but still in all, even as we peek out into sunlight, I heard somebody say the other day, I freaked out when the pandemic shut down my life. Now that things are opening up again, I'm freaking out about that. Am I crazy? <laughs> but, and no, um, because we're, we are in a liminal moment in our collective history, all of us. And to be in a threshold crossing is like being from um, being in the middle between two rooms. You're, you're not in one room and not in the other. And you've stepped away from the room. We've all stepped away from the room that we are in, and we haven't yet stepped into the next room. And it's an uncomfortable space. Um, where we're leaving behind one way of being. And that's it's interesting because all of my work has been doing work with people in crossing thresholds, whether it's organizational thresholds or personal thresholds. Um, but now that this COVID has, has dictated, <laughs> dictated our life for the last year and a half, it becomes the spotlight is on the whole thing now. And so we're replete with our current, our old life structures and beliefs and expectations and hopes and patterns and dreams and not yet step into the next structure or way of being. So you're neither here nor there. And we're all in a threshold crossing right now. You could call it, you could call it a place of great possibility. And it takes like leaning out into, I, I remember reading something you wrote, might've been on your website about that the organizations that are, um, that are going to be successful during this time are those that are willing to cross a threshold, that are willing to move into not knowing and to invent. I think you said this, um, certainly what I'm saying, and to be willing to get beyond their comfort zone. I'll tell you for myself, I I've had people in the last, like three years ago, people were already talking to me about getting on Zoom and I was so against it. I was completely unwilling to go in that direction. <laughs> you know, they're all laughing at me now <laughs> because not only am I leading courses on Zoom, but I'm learning ways to be um, deep in people's lives that way and intimate in, 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 the, you know, in the way that you've got to be as a good coach where you've got to be really right in um, – the life of another person in order to coach well. And uh, I didn't think that that was possible at all. And yet I'm finding just out of the profound commitment that I am to making my work available to people during this time, I'm finding ways to do that. 
Um, and it takes something, you know, anyway, <laughs> I will, I will mention that you, some of your zoom resistance is still around because you were the first podcast guest I've had on that called into the zoom meeting instead of, of being on video. So I wonder if, yeah, <laughs> I wonder if there's still some, some reluctance there or resistance there, which I'm just, I'm just teasing about. Well, I'll I don't... tell you exactly what it is. Yeah, tell... I can tell you what it is because I noticed that even I have a client call on Thursday and I say, would you rather have Zoom or phone? And he says, phone. And we were talking about the last time we talked, we were also talking by phone. And there's something about phone that allows me to be unfettered in my listening. Whereas when I'm, um, and somehow this does not happen when I'm in person with someone, but when I'm on the computer, I, I just get slightly distracted by the appearance. I don't know why. And it doesn't happen that way when I'm in a coaching call, but when I'm in a casual call, not a, uh, or a course, you know, where in a course, I'm very, um, committed at stake for another's life. It's like a hundred percent committed. When I'm in a more casual conversation, although I'm, it's not like I'm not 100% committed here, I just got concerned that I would not, I would get somehow distracted by um, seeing you. Well, I, I mean, I, I think it makes sense. And, and I, I do the same thing. I do a lot of my, I do a lot of my coaching work actually over the phone because I find that it just encourages a, like kind of a presence and a dynamism that that I don't find with with Zoom meetings nearly nearly as much. Uh-huh. And I think yeah. I think there's something, you know, there's something interesting about this one of the ways I think about kind of teams and how teams work together and and how organizations work is that you know, the thing that's really beneficial is for them to have a really wide range of how they can work together. So Sometimes things need to be directive. Sometimes things need to be collaborative. Sometimes things are very chaotic and sometimes things are very structured. And, um, and the more, the more that, that a team, let's just say a team for the moment, the more that a team can access all of those different parts of themselves, the more effective they will be. And the more that they can choose kind of how do we want to be right now, um, and make that choice either explicit or with practice kind of implicit, but effective, the, the more things that they can do. And, and I actually think that we're now facing that same choice around how to come together for work. You know, do we bring a group of people together on zoom? Do we do breakout rooms? How do we design that? Do we, um, do we bring people in person? Do we bring people back into the office? All, is that all of the time or is that only some of the time? Um, yeah. And and you know, I think that there's just a lot of really of really interesting stuff embedded in these these questions because as you said, so much is shifting right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I want to ask you about your threshold crossing because you have a yes. the book, you have a course that you're are you launching it for the first time this this fall? No, this this is going to be the um third offering of it. And the uh, other two were in September of last year and then January of this year. And they were both very powerful for people. People moved. Well, again, we were in the heart of the pandemic and people 
came in, um, you know, I, I, one of my clients is the grocery business, but I've got lots of other clients too. And overall, people came in from a sense of being exhausted and pretty much stressed out and um, out of touch with their own passion for living. And in the course of the work, they got reconnected with themselves, their heart, their heart as their own guide, um, were able to embrace the uncertainty that they were living in all the time. Not like that we're never not living in uncertainty, hmm. but again, because the changes are, are taking place, were taking place and still are really pretty constantly, like the ground underneath us is, is in, like a earthquake, you know, that, um, well, how, you know, the question of what allows us to live well and centered and be a clearing for others and a source of empowerment to others um, in the face of everything that's uh, occurring. And um, so the um, the kinds of breakthroughs that people made were just pretty incredible. So I'm very, very excited about offering it again. And this time I'm doing something for the first time that I've never, ever done before my whole career, which is to uh, open the work up to um, people outside of my already existing constituency. And so I'm going to be uh, making a free preview of the course available on July 8th. And I'm happy to send, in fact, I did, I sent you the link to that. And it's going to be a one and a quarter hour course in itself, uh, where people will get clear about whether they want to do the longer course, which is in the fall, but, uh, or not. And if they don't still, the one and a quarter hour is going to be um, a contribution to them because it's the beginning of an opening into what it takes to cross a threshold well. And uh, the, the overall course is called uh, building a conversational bridge to your next threshold crossing. And um, this brings us back to what I was talking about before, where the poems came from two summers ago when I was reinventing my relationship with my daughter. Uh, we were staying in a cabin where the dock um, had no bridge because the bridge had been removed at spring ice melt from the dock. So it was really quite a compelling visual image for me, and the the cover of the book Crossing Thresholds shows that dock, at the lone dock out there in the lake, Lake Superior, without a bridge. And ultimately, I made my own threshold crossing and got out on the bridge. And there's a photograph, so there's like 50 photographs in there too, of me on the bridge after I made my threshold crossing. But the course itself is a conversational bridge that enables people to move through all of the various distinctions for crossing thresholds well, including creating a stop, embracing endings, starting new beginnings, being able to hear what your next kind of next spacious horizon is going to be, uh, learning from what really prevents us from listening deeply to ourselves, um, allowing our own poetic imagination to guide us. People have breakthroughs into their own writing. They uh, get clear about what it takes. In the free course, we're going to be doing work with what is, what is it that it's time for you to shed? Um, there's a there's a poem that I wrote with my husband uh, that I'm going to find it here. 
it's called Deeper Than You Think. And the day of my threshold crossing, I wanted to, I, I knew I'd want to get out on that dock. And I told my husband I was going to wade out to it. And he said to me with, with a severe admonishment in his eyes, it's deeper than you think, because this is Lake Superior and it's a cold lake. And I thought, oh, that's a great line for a poem, you know, beginning of a poem. So the poem goes, the wade to the front dock is deeper than you think. You will get wet and cold. He also said that to me. To stand on the front dock and celebrate the sun, the wind, the blue sky, and the water requires some sacrifice. Leave what is dead and time to shed. Leave your old life behind. So in the the course oh. itself is, uh, oh, I'm glad you uh, yeah, big, had that. Big sigh there. I should have stopped a little longer. What did you see? What did you see, Chris? Well, you know, I, I am a very left-brained person. And mm-hmm. I tend to work with a lot of leaders who are very left-brained also. You know, very, very mm-hmm. technical. Although technical doesn't quite, doesn't quite encompass it all. And... You know, the thing that I'm sure right brain people need this too, but but we left brainers, you know, we tend to be very direct and to to plow forward and we really like we really like certainty and we really like when things are just so and when they're in this structure and you know equations and all this good stuff. So I, I just was struck by this idea that to get to where you want to be, you've got to move through some stuff that's hard. And some stuff that's unpleasant. Yeah. And yeah. And that's not that's not a popular <laughs> that's not a popular sentiment, I feel like, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I guess for me, what what in that that was kind of what was what I was thinking. And then in that moment, what was resonating with me was just this idea that, like, you know, the yes, the sort of yes and. And for me, the yes and is like, okay, so let's take that as true, then the kind of work that I want to do is work that's really helping leaders, supporting leaders, particularly leaders that are like me in their kind of aptitude to the world, supporting them in, in being able to move toward the unknown and supporting them in being able to see the discomfort, know that it's going to be there, and then be connected enough with themselves to to move forward. Yeah. You just really um, kind of um, – I'm not going to use the word nail. I want – the word nail isn't – nailed it's it, you taken. know. But, that's um, taken by your that, earlier analogy. How else to say this? Yeah, I mean, that's why. I don't want to use it here. But you really got to the, honed got to the in heart of the on the essence. You got to the heart of the matter. Yeah. You crystallized the essence of the work. That's the work that there is to do. Is um, it's a work that we always have to do is this work of embracing impermanence and noticing and becoming aware of when we're so resistant to the way it is uh, or the way it's not or want to hold on to something rather than it's time to let it go. And whether it's a way of being or um, a way of relating or 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 some blame that we're laying on ourselves or on another person. So forgiveness comes into play too. And acceptance is really big. And by the way, so is faith. Yeah. You could also call it declaring 
Um, but that's a, that's a deep conversation, and we do get into that when, when we're in the course, the resonance between those two. But um, being able to be all right with things as they are and, then, and as they are not as well, and trusting in the benign unfolding of the universe, you could say, yes. might be. Uh, I never quite spoke it that way before, but that's what's just coming out right here. You know, I am. Um, I want to share something that is just really present for me that I've that that is was triggered off your disc, your what you were just saying about leaders and of of letting go. You know, this is a pretty wild and wacky thing I'm about to say, but I I kind of want to say this that you know organizations are living things too, and I know that mm-hmm. that's not literally true, but. But organizations also have beliefs and practices and ways of being that some of which serve them, some of which served them years ago, but no longer serve them. And, and so I just, I've never really thought about the organization as, um, I, it's not quite right to say that the organization is a person, but, but the organization has all of these struggles too, in a way that is different than the struggles of the individuals in the organization. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And, and I actually do hold it that way. And I, the words that I use are living entity An organization is a living entity and with a set and absolutely a set of beliefs, which may no longer serve them. Right. And, um, and businesses go out of business because they have beliefs or they live in paradigms is another way of talking about it that prescribe that it, it has to be this way. So, yeah. So that's beautiful what you're saying. Just really beautiful. And what does it take to shift a paradigm becomes a very big question. And what are the paradigms that Gosh. we're currently living in that we don't well, even know that we're living in? Right. Because those that we're not aware that we're living in, that's what that's right. where we get stuck. Right. And that's where and and yeah. uh, what did you call it a living entity? Is that what is that the phrase you used? Well, I mean, yes, so I is so mm-hmm. is our society. It is a living entity um, in that same way, right? And you can right. you can you can sort of tell because you see all the beliefs that are embedded in the rules and the regulations and the organization and the nature of the people's relationship with the state and the police and, you know, the, the economics of it. It's, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot there. There is a lot there. So I'm just aware that we're, we're coming to the end of our time. And I just wanted to know, is there, is there anything that you wanted to share that we hadn't gotten to yet or that we hadn't talked about yet? Well, I have a poem I'd like to read. Is that, would that be able to? That's I love it. That sounds great. Okay, since you since you so um, connected with that last one, and um, this one is called "Where Lake Meets Sky," and it's about uh, coming home, and uh, ultimately that's what the what the work all is about. And um, I wrote it right after a long, long boat trip uh, on the lake. <clears throat> Look beyond yourself. Look to the farthest horizon where lake meets sky, even further. Take one easy paddle towards that horizon and notice how the wake appears, then disappears, 
behind you. Pilgrim, you must not go back. Only the open lake in front of you with no shoreline to mark your way. Listen with your heart. Your heart knows the way. A happy heart is true, St. Bridget speaks. Follow your joy. I know you can live wholeheartedly, that you can be who you choose to be. I know that you can paint your life with the palette colors of your choice. I know that you are the artist and the author of your life. Just paddle towards your voice calling to you from across the lake. From the endless horizon where lake meets sky, from the eternal, infinite possibility of all that is, the voice that calls you by your name, the voice that calls you by your name, come home to yourself. Amba, thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Your course, your free introduction to the Crossing Thresholds, the conversational uh, yes. bridge, it's uh, July 8th. Yep. Um, I am already signed it's up July for July 8th? Oh, fabulous. I'm very excited <laughs> about great. it. That's um, great. We'll include, yeah, we'll include a link awesome. in the show notes to um, listeners okay. who want to participate. It's free, and it's kind of both some work in and of itself and a kind of preview for people that might be interested in doing the full program in the fall. Both and, exactly. Yeah, both work. Whether people decide to take the course or not, they'll be contributed to by the uh, one and a quarter hours that we're doing on July 8th. There we go. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fabulous. And with that, why don't we... Well, thank we, you for this. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Why don't we bring this to a close? I really appreciate your your willingness to come and 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 talk with me and, and be in this space with me. And um, I got a lot out of our conversation. So thank you. And I hope, Wonderful. I hope, I hope Wonderful. Our, our listeners do also. Me too, Chris. Thank you so much. It's been a joy to be with you. You're welcome, Amba. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To stay in the loop about new episodes and to be eligible for my periodic book bundle giveaways, sign up for the Breakdown newsletter at chrisclearfield.com slash giveaway. So what's this giveaway? Every few months, I bundle together three or four influential books, often written or recommended by guests from the show, and I give them away to a few lucky listeners. I'll include a signed copy of Meltdown, and because I'm friends with many of my fellow authors, I try to get their books signed as well, so you definitely don't want to miss out on that. Go to chrisclearfield.com giveaway to get on the list. Finally, join your fellow listeners, subscribe to the show, and share it with your friends. And if you love the show, give us a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app. Even one extra review helps us get an edge on the algorithm so more people can find us. And before we roll the credits, remember, if you're a business owner ready to transform your business and your life, find out more about my approach to coaching and sign up for a free intro session at chrisclearfield.com slash make the leap. That's all one word, make the leap. The Breakdown with Chris Clearfield is a team effort. The inimitable Rain Avant is our assistant producer and makes everything run smoothly. Gabe Turner and Claire Skinner help make the amazing content here and on my newsletter, available at chrisclearfield.com slash thebreakdown. 
Laura Stack is our editor, and our theme was composed by the creative team at Spiky Blimp. Thanks so much for listening, and be well until our next breakdown. Thank you.